Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Tonight is April 23rd, 2013. So tonight we are going to do a show that's a little different than what I normally do. I just felt like I had to mix it up, and the reason is is that I had somebody that was listening last week that was a childhood friend of mine, and uh, so I thought of this topic, and it's going to be called, well, it is called, Alcohol Teens and the 1970s. But first, uh, in memory of and in dedication to Richie Havens, who passed away yesterday, who I saw downtown in Greenwich Village when I was 15. I had my babysitting money, and I bought a ticket, and I went down there alone, and I saw him live. And then I saw him in the early 80s again when I moved to Los Angeles, and I must have been 12 feet from him, a very small event. And I'm so, so glad that I got to see him live. So I'm going to just play a short clip of him singing now. I think, to grow up at, at a time like that. And I've asked some people to call in. I know there is uh, there is somebody on the line. I'm going to actually let people call in or encourage people to call in. I've asked a few of my old friends from northern Manhattan, as I like to call it, 818-475-9211. 818-475-9211. Uh, hi, Laura. Hi, ETP. Uh, there's somebody named John in the chat room. If you want to go to uh, where you can chat live, you just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash safe recovery and then you can log in and you can be anonymous, make up a name, or you can go in as your name. So I'm going to see who we have here online. Hello caller, you're live. Can I have your name please? My name is Stephen Boyle. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? Hi Stephen. (laughs) <laughs> I, just, I got your email yesterday or the day before. It said you're going to be on the show again today. So I figured I'd uh, call in and say hello. I can't stay long, but uh, I just wanted to say hello and see if Patsy or uh, Ruthie or Janie called in. 
They haven't called in yet. Uh, Patsy got called to work. Janie said she would try, and I don't have Ruthie's number, so I had asked Janie, and I faced, I tried, you know, through Facebook, and asked her, but. Uh, you know, you're here. I think it would be, thank you for calling back. I thought it would be no so problem. funny. If I would have answered last week, you know, I would have been so shocked. I would, but you guys kept talking, so I was like, uh-oh, i got to hang on, i got to hang on. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Oh, that is so funny. That's really yeah. funny. How are you? I'm very good, living in Arizona, and uh, I'm having a great time. How long have you been in Arizona? Uh, going on nine years now. Wow, long time, long time. So everybody who's listening out there, I have a lot of new blogger friends. This is a friend of mine from uh, my childhood. And Stephen uh, was one of my best friends, uh, boyfriend, and we all hung out together, and we certainly drank plenty and uh, played a lot of basketball, right? That's right, that's right. Uh, that's and, about uh, the only two things I did. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so can I ask you this? Because one of the things that I had hoped was – and we haven't talked, I think I saw you at the reunion in 2000 in Inwood, but before that, yeah. you know, we really haven't spoken since I left Inwood when I was 17. Right. And I know that a lot of us drank really heavily, and we lost, you know, some friends who overdrank and overused drugs, but uh, it's come to my understanding that a lot of people grow out of that behavior and learn how to sort of drink moderately. Right. Uh, yeah, well, that was my case, you know. Yes, that I is mean, your case. Years, so, yeah. I mean, how, I, how I did still it? Drink yeah. Occasionally now, I you know we go to Mexico a lot from Phoenix down to Rocky Point, and uh, and uh, you know we go down and drink tequila each shrimp, and we have a great time. And uh, mm-hmm. so, um, but you know, I, it's you know it's it's only a hit or miss. At, at sometimes it's not like it used to be every day, you know. Right. Right. Uh, well, at least you went on to, uh, you know, you, you continued to go to school, right. and uh, and I mean back then in the 70s, uh, and I have friends with people who I didn't know then who, you know, were drinking then and smoking pot and stuff, and I think the thing that was different for me was that everybody continued on and I dropped out of school, and um, so I sort of believed, you know, that I was different, and maybe I was different in the way that I left. But um, I, I just think it's interesting that you, you wound up listening. I mean, I've been posting on Facebook, you know, hit and miss when I do it. But that right. the big thing that I sort of want to get out there is that people not just grow out of it like you did or learn how to moderate, because a lot of people do, but that when people have problems that they just don't all go to AA and, and NA and that a lot of the public doesn't know how, you know, bad it is, what's going on in that program. Well, when I had, if, you know, if I was really imbibing heavily, you know, I would just cut down. I had that kind of willpower, I guess. But, uh, I mean, I would, I would think that so many of our friends, family, from back in that time, I would say half of them are in, in AA now. And, uh, you know, like I said in my email to you, that they always tell me that there's a chair there with my name on it. And I said, yeah, well, it's going to be empty for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was good that way. I mean, I can go out on a bend, or I used to, I mean, and, uh, and but I could just stop, you know. And plus I yeah. worked on Wall Street, so I didn't want to jeopardize that kind of a situation. So, uh, you know, it's not easy, as you know. And everyone else listening, I'm sure, knows. But, uh it can be done, and I just I just wasn't uh, up for the rigidity of AA and my mm-hmm. friends dragging me to meetings and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still happy, you know. Have a few drinks now and now with my wife, and uh, right, right. Like, How many kids do you have? I have four. Wow, what's the age range on the kids? Twenty-two, twenty, nineteen, and sixteen, and three of them are out in college now. They all got scholarships for sports, for basketball or soccer. Nice. And uh, my youngest is a sophomore in high school, and she's committed full scholarship to Oklahoma University for soccer. So we moved from New York out of all that environment with family and all the, the stuff there. Right. And uh, they didn't want to leave, and they got here, and they loved it. And it's been a, uh, you know, it's been it was a great decision for us to do. So. Wow, I think people are having a problem hearing. Um, I'm just going to talk to the people in the chat room. So Gunther, can you hear? Let's see, it's not very loud. I'm I'm sort of doing the normal 
a normal thing here with my phone. I haven't changed what I'm doing. There's a guy called said John Samo. He said to say hi. Is that somebody you know? My Me? friend is hi and my friend in Arizona. No, I don't know that. What's the name? John Sam O is what's written here. He's typing now. Um, maybe he logged out, logging back in. Let's see, Gunther. Mm-hmm. No, we're just having people. It's not very loud. Let's see. Somebody's typing. Oh, so you left right after nine? Well, a couple of years after nine eleven, then. Yeah, well, I worked there for many years in the trade center in the commodity exchange, and uh, oh my God, I didn't I know you worked out, there. Oh yeah, twenty years, and then I had my knees have been replaced twice, my hips, my shoulder. So I kind of left in around '96. Right, and uh, but I was down there that day. I went down. I brought a truckload of water from my neighborhood uh, up in Monroe, New York, and my brothers were digging in the pile, and friends, and uh, you know, all the firemen that I knew, and I lost like seventy friends. Bobby, of course, you know Bobby O'Shea, and right. uh, just many, many guys that I worked with, and neighbors, and relatives, and all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, oh. and that was another reason, you know, I, I was kind of like it was dwelling on me because uh, I was there when the bomb went off the first time in '93. Wow. My car was one of only three that didn't get destroyed, and uh, it was in there for like three months. And uh, so all that, all that kind of stuff wore on me. And then after losing all my friends and living in New York, I was like, I need a change of pace. I, you know, I had retired at 39 because of my, you know, my knees, and my hips, and everything. So right. I moved out to Arizona, bought a house, told my wife I'm going. She said I'm not going. It took me nine years to talk Maureen into going. <laughs> and finally, I just I up and came out here, bought a house, and said, "I'm going. You're coming. You know, you're not coming. One way or the other." So I knew they would come, but <laughs> wow. But anyway, yeah, and I was having bad dreams at night about you know uh, about 9/11 and all my friends who were trapped in there and stuff. And uh, mm. um, so yeah, I mean, it was kind of a relief to come here, and I always wanted to move to Arizona anyway, so it was just that kind of uh, pushed it along. So, mm. so how? Why did you want? What was the thing with you wanting to go to Arizona? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I always just liked the West, and I had a lot of customers um, from out here who traded mm-hmm. crude oil. That I, I was a crude oil trader and um, lived out here, you know, and they would call me on the phone every day with orders and this and that, and we just talked about it, and the more and more we talked, it piqued my interest that much more, and and then as soon as I went out, I had my first knee replacements done in 95. I just came out for like three months with my son, who was four at the time, and we stayed in a condo in Scottsdale, and uh, I loved it. And flew my the, my wife and my two daughters at the time out. And uh, then we went back, and it took me nine years to talk her into it, but I, I was persistent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you are near Phoenix, or are you near Scottsdale? Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm in, like, north Phoenix, a little west of uh, Scottsdale, but I'm moving to Scottsdale hopefully within the next couple of months. I'm downsizing oh. now that I have this giant house, and I want to move to a smaller house, and... And closer to, you know, the action, the restaurants, all that stuff. Right, right. I was out there last, I I feel like it feels like longer than that, but because of the stuff that happened to me health-wise. But um, a year, two years ago when I did my first interview, I drove out to Phoenix to interview a woman who was having problems in an AA meeting. But uh, I find this so interesting to talk to you about that because that really would be traumatizing, uh, you know, to have been there for the 93 bombing and then... Um, you know, lose 70 friends. I mean, I know that, mm-hmm. you know, there were so many people from Inwood because so many people had wound up working, right. in, you know, in the stock market, yeah, right? I think it was I mean, 48, from, 48 from the neighborhood, from, from what I remember. And oh, my God. And they had that nice, the memorial on the side of Good Shepherd Church there. They took a, a cross of the iron, put that mm-hmm. there, and they have, uh, you know, they have plaques on the ground with the faces of everybody. And a story about them and their children's handprints and everything. So it was pretty cool that the church wow. did that and all the iron workers from Immortal, you know, our guys, you know, got that to happen. So that was pretty cool. And uh, you know, I went to I don't know 30 or 40 funerals and memorials, but uh, the healing was quick because uh, you know everyone stuck together and you saw how what happened in Boston and that happened in New York, like you know, on a mm-hmm. bigger scale. But and then I remember you sent me one of your CDs. You wrote a song about it. Uh, oh, that's right, my 9/11 song. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was pretty cool. My kids loved that all the time. They said, "Where's that Monica song?" Because they were young at the time, you know. <laughs> and I said, "I can't find it anymore. You're gonna have to send me another one." <laughs> oh, I'll send you another one. You should give me your, your address, and I'll send you my new CD too. The, for those of us who are listening, you know, this is 
There's a friend of mine, Stephen Boyle from Inwood. We're talking about a neighborhood that's the most northern part of Manhattan. And it's funny, when people ask me where I'm from, I say northern Manhattan. And somebody said, I've never heard anybody say that. And I'm like, why not? It's the most northern tip of Manhattan. It's called Inwood. And um, so Stephen here is talking about, you know, what made him leave. Obviously not really talking about alcohol and uh, teens in the 1970s. Well, that was part of it, too, I would say. <laughs> With my family, my brothers, and everybody, you know, there's a party every weekend there, you know. And that was Right, right. So out, there's your you know? younger brother, Michael, right? My, he's in Florida. Right. And your and older brother, Jimmy? I got Jimmy, Betty, Stevie, Michael, Matthew, Cappy, Margie Martin. Eight of us. Oh, my. Wow. That's a big family. <laughs> and yeah, it's a big family. And one in a two bedroom apartment on two hundred and fourth street, remember? That's right. So, that's wild. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, that's so ten people in the two bedroom apartment? Oh yeah. Wow. And uh oh my god, I just that, that's that's a lot of people. Um so the reason I want to tell everybody Stephen had to get those knee replacements and everything is from all that basketball, right? Yeah, yeah well. Where did you yeah, go? Yeah, to I college? kept playing after I after I heard them. Yeah, I played in college. But I uh, I hurt them after that, and then I was on my feet every day, yelling and screaming in the trading pits, you know, mm-hmm. in the commodity <laughs> exchange, in the World Trade Center, actually. So, oh my. medication and alcohol helped that for a while, but then it just, you know, you just have to move on and get them all replaced, and uh, so. I am anyway. so glad you called in. I know that you can't stay, uh, yeah. you know, the whole yeah, time. I don't want to take I have... up too much of your time. I just want to say hello and. And maybe chat with the other people if you know from the neighborhood if they were, had called in or not. But yeah, nobody um, else has yeah, called let me in. Go. You, all right, well, well, we'll get them on another show. That's all. Yeah, I think so. We can have them call in again. Um, yes. One of the things that came up when we were doing some of the research, I'm making a documentary about this stuff. It's sort of my story, and then uh, educating people. There's other choices, free choices besides AA, like including moderation, which I really mm-hmm. want to help promote. Um, that. I found out that AA began its sort of PR work by actually coming to grade schools, which is what they did to Good Shepherd, and they brought speakers who were from AA. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that, not, or had you not, already not, graduated? Not, not, not probably graduated. That wasn't Bill W., was it? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he the original? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they he looked like did he? He looked like an inward guy for sure. <laughs> uh, no, yes. Oh, Bill W. Did, yeah, didn't he? He looked like yeah, an old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Old yeah. Irish guy, yeah, <laughs> on the park bench. Um, yeah, but I think that um, you probably graduated because it was when we were getting drunk uh, across from the basketball, like you know, right on the benches, which the, the benches, stupid, yeah. where they could yeah. see us and they could see Janie and I and Ruthie and whoever mm-hmm. else was there, with their binoculars, and so they decided to bring in speakers, and they were actually, you know, made Janie and I stand up, and they were like, you, you know, you're an alcoholic, and I was like, that is so bad to do to a 13-year-old, I mean, they, no were, they, were, they were nuns, come on, they were nuns, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the way it was back then, nowadays they can do anything they want over there, those kids, so, but anyway, uh, right, listen, I'm going to text you, I'm, uh, on Facebook, I'll send you my address and everything, my phone number, we can keep in touch, all right? Okay, and, uh, and I'm going to send you, you. Uh, yeah, I'll send you another CD and say hi to your kids, okay. and then you could also meet my husband. He's a really right. funny guy. No, yeah, I'm out in California every once in a while for soccer with the kids. I'm usually San Diego, sometimes Huntington Beach or up that area, Irvine, but uh, maybe we'll get Well, what's up? that's only an hour from us, so if you do, let us know, and Kevin will come down yes. and meet you, Kevin and I. All right, cool. Uh, all right, Stephen, thanks so much for calling in. Hey, how's your brother and sister, by the way? Uh, my brother's okay, my sister's... Uh, not so okay, but I'll talk to you about it. And your mom, I remember your mom from my doctor, what's his name's office? Oh, God, what was that doctor's name, the gynecologist? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Remember around the corner she, from Jonesy's? Yes, yes, but I don't yeah, remember the name. Cause, oh, God, right, she had an office there for a little while. She's okay. Yeah. My dad passed away in 08. Oh, too bad. Yeah. How about your parents? Um, uh, my father uh, passed away in 84. And my mother oh. is in Florida, and my brother, a couple of my brothers are near there, but she just had a knee operation uh, replacement, so I'm flying down there this week to bring her back here and stay with me in Phoenix for like three, four months to recoup. So, Wow. Um, but she's in good shape for her age, man. You know, she's 80, 82 or 80 maybe, I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, raising eight kids, I'm surprised she's still walking. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, tell, yeah. tell all your siblings that know me that I said hi. I will. I'm we'll probably see Michael next. I'll see Michael because he's right next to my mother and Maddie. Okay. 
and all Maddie. Of you, so. Oh yeah, Maddie too. <laughs> Tell him I said hi, and I'm really I glad will. we you called in, and we'll talk again. We will definitely. Okay. Enjoy Monica. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Okay, everybody, that was my friend from Inwood. Uh, we haven't had anybody else call in. Patsy was supposed to call in, and uh, let's see, get them while you're young. Laura said, 10 people in a two-bedroom apartment would make anyone drink. <laughs> but you know, Laura, there were a lot of my friends that lived uh, in those small apartments, and there were, you know, it was a really Irish Catholic neighborhood, so people did not have two children or four. There were a lot of people at six and eight kids back in those days. Oh, we have another caller on the line. Let's see if he wants to talk. Hello, caller. You're live. Can I have your name? Caller? Now the caller is speechless. Okay. We're going to just silence the caller there. So I'm going to just talk then. If you want to call in, we lost some of our listeners because we were just having sort of a talk of what was going on with a friend that I haven't really spoken to and really 30-something years, because I left Inwood in, in 1974, hitchhiked across the country, and uh, went to live in the mountains of Colorado, and chopped some wood, and then uh, got on a plane and went to Hawaii, where, uh, <laughs> let me see, <laughs> anyway, the number you can call in is 818-475-9211, 818-475-9211, we are going to talk about, or we talk about whatever you want to talk about tonight. Uh, the original discussion that I began, or thought I would talk about, was alcohol teens in the 1970s. What's the difference today? Irish Catholic, forget about it. Oh, Laura, you're so funny. Can you call in? Or maybe you can't call in. Um, anybody? There's Laura, there's Evelyn, and there's Kevin, and there's a guest. So, I will just keep talking. And there was John Samo. He logged out, though. And I think that he knew Stephen. And it looks like Janie couldn't call in or Ruthie didn't maybe get the message and Patsy had to work. So here's what I want to say, is that everybody didn't drink, uh, you know, in, in a binging way. I'm going to try to stay away from the words alcoholically, but there was a lot, a lot of teen drinking in the 1970s. And the drinking was so rampant. I mean, Inwood was known to have the most bars in a mile radius. It was once written up in the New York Times, I heard, once I left. And the thing is, is that, the, you know, for them to start labeling us as 13 as alcoholic, so they must have been in contact with people or somebody was in AA. And I remember... Once I went to AA and got sober, you know, I don't use those words too much anymore, because I've already stopped before I went to a meeting, but uh, I went to a meeting in Inwood in the uh, cafeteria of my old school, and it was, like, horrible. It was, I mean, I was 18, and everybody to me looked like they were 80. And uh, um, <laughs> let's see, Laura wrote, let's see, I was labeled at 12, uh, can't call. Oh, you have a client coming in four minutes. Okay, got you. So, yeah, look, at ETP was labeled at 12. And so I went down to that meeting, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't belong here. And I didn't belong there. But uh, the thing that made me feel different from my peers then was that I was wanting to drink even more than on Friday and Saturday night, and I would try to, like, sneak out, and there was only one other girl who could kind of like sneak out and maybe do it and it really wasn't fun on those nights it was only fun in the be- on those early years uh <laughs> somebody just wrote when i said i didn't really belong there she just wrote no one belongs there <laughs> no the only people that are are belong there are the Sexual predators, the third-level sex offenders, and violent criminals that are being sentenced there. Why don't they just all go there and they could just take it over? Okay, that that would be <laughs> the end of pedophiles too. So it can be called, you know, uh, whatever. We have somebody calling in. I'm going to take the call. Let's see if I can. Hi, caller, you're live. Are you talking to me? Hi, Gunther. <laughs> Hi. I, I was uh, I have, I'm having trouble tonight with the audio on um, Blog Talk Radio, so I just called in to listen. But if you want to talk, 
Oh, yeah. I'd love to be to talk for a while, and then if you want to just hang on and listen. I don't know what was going on. It was the same as always, but uh, ETP said it sounded low, and you said you couldn't hear it. So, uh, yeah, I had a, you know, this friend of mine called in last week, and there were so many people in the queue. I didn't take any calls last week because really? I was so busy. Yeah, it was like crazy. I mean, I'd never seen that many in the queue, and I was talking to women for sobriety for the first time, so I just was wound up in just interviewing her, but next time I'll take calls. But So tonight, my friend from where I grew up called in, and uh, as you heard him, or partly heard him, but, um, you know, we were talking about how they came and spoke at our school when I was 13, so it was 1960, well, it was either 1970, I graduated in 71 from grade school, the eighth grade, did you ever have uh, somebody come to your grade school and talk from AA? We had somebody come to junior high school, um, but I'm not sure if he was from AA. Well, I'm sure that he was, but um, I <laughs> don't remember. Where else could he have been from? <laughs> Excuse me? I said, where else would he have come from, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, I was in a, I was a little kid in the 70s, so... My experiences are from the 80s, and, uh, yeah, they had somebody come talk to us at school about the dangers and, and plant the idea in our head that we were all going to be powerless over alcohol. They did that to us, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad. I mean, I was just, you know, really looking at the disempowering of a whole generation, uh, Gunther. You know, I was writing a piece that I haven't put up yet. And I think it's now affected more. It's affected, you know, us. You're the same generation as me. And then our children, because even though our kids, the the culture is so now infested with it that they think it's like uh, you'll run into somebody at Starbucks and they go, oh, I'm like so addicted, you know. And you're like, I said to some guy once, I was like, no, you're not. I said, it's like sugar, you know. You can make a choice whether you can have it or not. Or um, Although sugar is... There are foods that they have made addicting. I think I'll go on into a different subject. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody told me that they've designed some foods that you know, just like they did with the cigarettes, intentionally, so that you really crave them. Things like um, certain Twinkies. kinds of chips, you know, some sodas and stuff. But so you were uh, junior high. That would be the same thing. We didn't call it junior high in Catholic school, but that's the same age. It's like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Yeah, it was seventh, seventh, and eighth for me. Right. So, were you drinking already? Were you drinking beer? Um, I think I started in the eighth grade. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's when it all started. Did you drink Schaefer or you know <laughs> Miller oh, Light or whatever? Oh, we had all kinds of. We used to drink Lowenbrow. I don't even know if they make it anymore. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, geez, what did we Well, how, how many did it take to get drunk back then? A can or two? Oh, uh, four or five, I guess. I don't know. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, you know. Since. I know. Well, for some reason, the memories are, uh, it took me about a can and a half at 13. You know, and we were drunk. We were like on the floor, drunk. But you know, your body. We were like little and skinny. And uh, but it, looking back, it just—I uh, don't know. It seems like the world today. Uh, although I, I was labeled by my family, my grandmother would like leave little newspaper clippings, you know, on my dresser. Teenage alcoholism rampant in Inwood. You know, like somebody had actually written a, a bulletin about it. <laughs> but, Oh, my, my, my. Well, you could drink at 18 then, Gunther, right? So did you go to the bodega? No, no you, other- couldn't, you couldn't drink at 18. Well, I could when I was in the Army, yeah, but not in the state of Massachusetts, no. You had to be 21. Oh, you were like Jersey. The progressive state of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey, how are you up there with all that? How close are you to, uh, well, I know how close you are, but... Um, I was thinking about you, and then I didn't get to call you about all the stuff happening in Boston. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of disturbing um, that it could happen so close to home. Mm-hmm. 
It's really upsetting. Sorry for the people who, who lost their lives and limbs mm-hmm. because some somebody just did what they did. I don't want to get yeah. into the politics of it. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty frightening. I mean, I think to me the uh, the frightening part was uh, roof nails, roofing nails coming at me. You know, I mean uh, that part. And ball bearings. Uh, yeah. yeah, ball bearings is pretty terrifying. And uh, you know, I just wish we could uh, just have more peace everywhere and let's get the hell out of um, you know, all those Middle Eastern countries and just leave and just like let's address the United States here and uh, do what we can to make our country better with all those billions of dollars. You know. I mean, they mm-hmm. want to cut the traffic controllers, and I'm like, guys, do you? Do, do any of the senators? I'll get poli- I'll get political for half a second. So the senators, <laughs> do any of them fly on commercial planes? I don't think so. You know, it's like, what do they care whether the traffic controllers are, you know, that we have to people have to wait, you know, wait for hours and hours because they're going to jump on a special, you know, fancy jet. Yeah. It's well, hopefully I mean, this is an isolated incident. We didn't, we've, we haven't really had any, um, any big ones like this for quite a while. So we've done a good, to, good job of protecting ourselves to this point. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it doesn't become a pattern. Right, right. Well, yeah. I hope so too. Um, we have Amy's in there. Hi, Amy. She just came into the queue. Hi, uh, Amy. Uh, Gunther said hi. I don't know if she can hear. She's probably listening, and she chats also. So, uh, well, you could drink at 18 in New York in the 1970s, and you could go to a bar at 15 if you went to a certain kind of bar. Uh, really? Say a bar. Oh, yeah. You could go to it. But you couldn't sit at the bar, uh, you know, at the bar. You had to sit in the part of the bar where the tables were. And these were neighborhood. I lived in a really <laughs> Irish Catholic neighborhood, and... Uh, so, what did she say? Hiya, hiya. <laughs> Hi, Amy. So, we're all over the place with discussions we did, here. <laughs> we we did our drinking out in the woods, or I had a friend whose father would let us drink. He'd actually buy beer for us, and we'd drink in his room or out in the woods, mostly out in the woods, down the mm-hmm. railroad tracks. And I got to admit, I had a damn good time. Mhm, mhm. Those I the really teenage did. years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we had we had lots of fun. Yeah, we had some fun too. We used to build those uh, fires in the big, uh, the tr- not the trash cans, but they were these big. They were bigger than the metal trash cans of those days, and we would make you know bonfires in them. And we drank in the park, which was turned out to be a really it's a beautiful park in northern Manhattan called Inwood Hill Park, and it's a medieval forest. I mean, some of the trees there are so old, and um, there's a river, and there is a train track where... Um, I I didn't really like doing super dangerous things, you know, in the city when I... Well, never mind, I guess I did dangerous things, but <laughs> walk around late at night. But... Um, so, you so how, how old were you? How old were you, Monica, when they first convinced you that you were an alcoholic? When they convinced me, you know, it's kind of weird. Like, I guess when I was thirteen, and the teacher made me and my friend stand up and say, you know, you and so and so, you're an alcoholic. I saw you drinking over there, and I no was kidding. like, come on, yeah, they, because they could see us. We were drinking right, like the uh, the nunnery or whatever you call it, the convent was right across from the tennis courts and the basketball courts, and then we really were drinking on that bench right behind it. So they were looking at us with uh, binoculars. And so they could see who we were. And, um, you know, we pretty much did it the summer of, like, 13, 14, and in 15 we kind of moved different parts of the park. But, you know, by then I was in high school and they didn't care. But they called me that, and then, but you know, I had parents who were kind of, I would say, you know, having their own serious problems, so I didn't get much attention, and um, uh, sort of, you know, I could do what I wanted, um, and so I didn't, you know, and then when I traveled, I didn't drink when I traveled, I, as when I got from place to place anyway, I didn't drink when I hitchhiked, I thought, so I didn't think, I, I didn't think of myself as an alcoholic, and I stopped smoking pot on my own a year prior, so I didn't walk around, in fact, I started to play with the idea of not drinking at all in the, when I was 17, 
because I had gone out to Colorado and everybody was kind of health nut, you know, but everybody smoked pot and drank. And mm-hmm. um, But nobody, there wasn't that kind of, uh, I was hanging around with older people who were of legal age because it was also 21 in that state. And I was only 17. So, you know, and then when I joined AA or, you know, and I was like, when you say I joined AA, like some of these words that uh, I used for a long time, they don't really make any sense because, like, nobody, like, I remember saying, oh, do I have to sign up somewhere? Is there, like, a membership card? And they were like, oh, no. (laughs) You know, we're just this, you know, laid-back society. We don't have any rules or, you know, there's such a snow job. Don't you think, yeah. through, like, just back then, uh, to say that kind of stuff to a young person? And so I had already stopped drinking for two weeks. It's very specifically, I had stopped because I had had a couple really bad, one really bad drunk, and I was drinking daily at the end before I had that drunk. And then I just said, "That's it." Got on my knees and I was like, "I'm done." And I did not drink again. And then I met the guy on the beach, and then they were like, "Oh, come to our meeting and this lovely little meeting." And I went to the meeting, and, you know, it was like, a, that. then that's a long story from there. You know what I mean? If I get into the the rest of that story, but I don't know. Now I, now I don't even know why I believed it, why I went to those meetings, why I, eh, it's really, I don't know. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if you, were, if you were really an alcoholic, huh? Oh yeah, I don't think I was. Right. I think that, I, in fact, but my the interesting part is that my story as a teen is worse than all my friends. You know what I mean? Like, I got into more tr- more trouble, but not trouble ever with the law. I mean, I was brought in once by you know for swearing at a cop, and he threw me in the cop car. But I I wasn't even I had nothing on. You know, I was sober when I did it. I was a teenager, just talking mm-hmm. back to a cop. But um, you know, I because I dropped out of school. Uh, and I was smart, but I was like failing, and everybody was like, "See, like you know, com- you know, compare, like you know, pretend like that's work, like you missed school because of your drinking, you know, you didn't miss work, you do, you know, I did miss work because I drank too much the night before, and I did miss school because I drank too much the night before, and I smoked pot in the morning before I got out the door, but you know, if I could just stop at the drop of a hat." When I when I felt like it, which I did when I hitchhiked, then, you know, I'm saying why, you know, so there's other people that I've talked to, Gunther, who I now I'm talking to them about it, and they're like, oh yeah, I never thought I was powerless. Yeah, I never thought I was an addict or an alcoholic. I just wanted to be around other people who did not drink and use drugs. And at that time, people were not so sketchy. I think there's two kind of problem drinkers. There's problem drinkers who can't stop mm-hmm. and then there's problem drinkers who get into trouble when they get drunk mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it sounds like you're you're the latter or you were the latter uh, that i had problems and but i was able to stop or got into trouble or... yeah so if you if you were able to stop you know there's alcohol dependence and then there's alcohol abuse right a lot of kids abuse alcohol, and they're not dependent. Dependent, that's that's what goes along with AA's description of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. You know, dependence mm-hmm. is, is what I had, is that I couldn't stop. Right. To the point where I was puking blood and, wow. and couldn't stop drinking, you know? Wow. Wow. We have somebody from Greece that's in the chat room. Hi there. There's John from Greece. Um, welcome. Now, uh, so in the 70s, um, what kind of music were you listening to? Oh, geez. I was just a kid. I was listening to Leonard Skinner <laughs> and Kiss. I was a big Kiss fan. <laughs> uh, Kevin's going to like that. I just... <laughs> Who? Aerosmith? Yeah, the old Aerosmith stuff. Right, right. That was Not good stuff. Good job. Mm-hmm. Back when they were a rock and roll band. What about yeah. you? What did you listen to? I listened to everything from Carole King to uh, Led Zeppelin to Jethro Tull, um, Carly Simon, 
Cat Stevens, uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and all of that secondhand stuff, I saw all of them at Madison Square Garden. So I would, you know, work in all my, you know, carrying on and drinking at the bars and drinking in the park as a teenager. I sure lived life. Like I, w- I worked full time as a babysitter, and I saw Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. I saw Jethro Tull. I saw uh, Led Zeppelin the year that that album came out. That really? incredible album with Stairway to Heaven. I saw them live. Um, I think I was high on LSD too. It was pretty fun. But okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, actually, I think I was, but it wasn't very strong. I think it was bad stuff, and so it didn't really do anything to me. But I did, you know, go into the city, and like I was talking about Richie Havens, and see people live. And but so that was the other stuff that you mentioned. I, I didn't really like the first two that much, but Aerosmith was more once I was in Hawaii and I was in that sober world, and then the, the Aerosmith stuff came out and that was kind of fun music you know what happened to me when when i was my music taste really expanded when i got to be uh, about 14 or 15 i had a drug dealer who sold me his record collection for 35 bucks and there was about 120 (laughs) records in there and they were all like the allman brothers and and uh bill young and just oh my God! Kinds. Yes, that's right. And Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and um, you know what else? I totally forgot. Like, so what about the bars? Because you could drink in the bars, and I listened to Barry White and Marvin Gaye. Without, I owned a Marvin Gaye and a, and a Barry White album. <coughs> um, mm. Temptations, Ball of Confusion. Uh, oh, I love Temptations. Right? Were they great or what? Music is just not the same anymore. I know. I'm really. Um, I'm big time into old music. Yeah, I just had to give my me too. I had to give my son a Marvin Gaye CD because I felt bad for his generation. <laughs> Did he listen to it? He plays it every day. I hear it coming out of his room. He loves it. Oh, that's great! Great. I mean, he feels like we do. There, there are some musicians today that they go to. Uh, he just went to Coachella, so it's a big music event, and. Um, Let's see. Let's see. There's. It's a different kind, though. They're not. They're the ones that do the. Uh, what do you call those big events that they have now? Uh, raves. Not the. You know. But they're really big events with like ten thousand people, and they just dance and they play this kind of music that's so different from what we listen to. However, they sometimes loop. They use the. You know, the old school stuff, and then they put loops to them, but they dance very differently. Their movement to the music is very different. But I think ETP says here the music and the alcohol seem to go hand in hand for me. Um, I I think so. I think that for a long time the music uh, related to... uh, When I stopped drinking and was in AA, I couldn't listen to some of that music because it made me long for my friends in New York and the bars and that world. Oh, How about yeah? you? Yeah, did, did that happen to you or that was not an issue? I I don't think I was that concerned with it. I, I still, you know, get a kick out of it when I hear like Neil Young say, I felt like getting high. <laughs> you know, um, those, yeah. you know, they were in the drug culture and, and, to a point, it was cool. Like I said before, I had a good time. But um, I don't see it as something evil that I need to avoid. Just I need to avoid putting the shit in my body. That's all I need to do. Yeah, I think uh, that for me, um, this is what wound up happening, that I decided to not listen, and I wound up listening to jazz. I had a little tiny transistor only that played AM radio, one of those little clock radios. It's like yeah. a travel thing. That was the only thing I owned because I was really I didn't have any money, and so um, I oh Amy said she's sensitive to music that way, and so what happened is I wound up listening to this station in Hawaii that played only jazz, and oh Kevin you'll love this you know the flute the flute scene in um, Rod and Burgundy is it Rod Rod Burgundy Rod Burgundy with, with um, Will Ferrell, <laughs> well that was the kind of flute music that was being played in the late 70s. So there was about a year or two 
where I didn't listen to the other stuff. And then after about, then by the time I was like 21 and three years in AA, I wound up starting listening to, and realized there was no trigger anymore. It didn't remind me. I didn't care. I was always going out disco dancing to like, you know, it was night fever, night fever. <laughs> so, but um, I, it's now I really love all that stuff. And I have for years. There's been no trigger or whatever to it. Uh, but I do think, let's see what Amy said. Um, ETP said the same thing. So uh, do you listen to that music now? So I'm going to ask this question to the chatters. Uh, after being abstinent or after finding your way through moderation, if that's what you're doing now, do you find that you're, uh, you listen to just about anything you want? But I am listening to a lot of old stuff, too, Gunther, right now. I really miss that sound, and I think music is really sucks on the whole compared to what we were fortunate enough to be around, you know? Right, right. I, I, I still listen to the old stuff. Yeah, me too. I love it. Uh, hold on, let me just see who the caller is. Hi, caller. Can I have your name, please? Yes, my name is Ned. Oh, hi, Ned. Oh, actually, Jeff. Hi, it could be Jeff. Wait a sec. <laughs> Jeff Hello? or Ned? It's, it's Ned. I'm going to be Ned now. Okay. That's fine. So you want to chime in about um, the discussion or teens and alcohol in the 1970s? Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, I, I I haven't haven't been listening to the the whole show yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I I was when I think about those times, they seem pretty um, pretty crazy, pretty uh, excessive. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty pretty excessive in uh, where I was from in Connecticut. My my town was filled with lots and lots of pot smokers. Mm-hmm. And and it was, I remember it gaining a certain kind of acceptance at the time as well. Right. And that it was becoming, it was cool as a teenager, but there was also this kind of crossover feeling that it was sort of becoming, like it was starting to be looked at as less an evil as mm. it was 20 years before. Wait, and, uh, can you say that again? So what happened to it? When you got to the evil part, what happened? Oh, just I remember it was starting to become more socially acceptable to a degree. It was less, um, I mean, it was still something rebellious for the teenagers, being a teenager. Definitely yeah. rebellious, but it was also starting to be become a bit more, uh, you know, uh, just like watching Saturday Night Live when Saturday Night Live for the first time started making pot jokes and it was on television. And you mm-hmm. can see that culturally it was starting to become more acceptable and that people were realizing that, uh, or at least feeling at the time, that it wasn't as, it wasn't like heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah. You know what you reminded me of is that I remember when uh, that law that it made marijuana like a federal offense so it was nixon i was watching a really good documentary called the house i live in and i think we really have to decriminalize it i mean it's just like whoa you're going to put somebody away for like how many years right. for a non-violent offense if you want to let nine thousand you know prisoners out of right. prison in california just let the pot people you know people who didn't have a violent offense who had right. three strikes and they're in there forever yep Yep, but I I also remember I remember when California decriminalized it at one point, and and, the, and coming from the other side of the country, you know there was definitely a different culture, and and I remember it, you know California seemed really really liberal at that time because of some things like that. What year um, was, what year was that, Ned? It would have been I think it must have been like the late seventies. It must have been you know I'm not mm-hmm. I just remember seeing it on the news when probably like seventy eight. That uh, and maybe it was just that people were trying to have it decriminalized, but I thought that, you know, I don't know the actual the laws changed, but I remember seeing that in the news. Uh, you know, I don't I, I I don't know about that because I remember hitchhiking through here, but you know, I guess it was uh-huh. somebody did it was seventy six, and even though it, there was always this image of California as being like this free and hippie right. place and the sunshine, right. they had really 
freaking scary cops with those glasses. Remember those aviator mirror sunglasses they used to wear in the 70s? This this state fucking really scared me. And when I hitchhiked through here, I was like, let me get the hell out of this town. And I wanted to go back to, like, Denver or, you know, somewhere else because... They, they really felt that way right. here, even though there was still like a nude beach down in Venice. You, I mean, the topless beach, and you know, everybody right. was like jumping in the uh, hot tubs together. But uh, right. I, I think it was before all the AA members, you know, became social workers and you know, were running this state, which is a little scary, with the drug courts. Well, and they yeah. started in the '80s. In, no, not the '80s, but well, that's when the laws changed about rehab and treatment. Was you know the uh-huh. '80s. In 1980, because it, it, that happened in Hawaii when insurance companies started to pay for that. But um, and so, how? When did you come to California, Ned? About 25 years ago. Oh, that's a long time. Now, yeah, like, so, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh-huh. No, no. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you: Did you drink in the woods too, like Gunther did? Because he was up there in Massachusetts. <laughs> yes, it was all about keg parties in the woods. Exactly. It was like an after school, and it was, and in the wintertime and snow, it didn't matter. You'd go out in the woods, and there'd be kegs, keg parties everywhere. Right. Yes. No, that was, and in strange way, it's, it was sort of a, <laughs> probably some of my fondest memories are about nature, because we spent so much time out in woods back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I just had this flash, too, of, you know, drinking uh, uh, like a hard liquor in the midwinter. And back then, the winters were so harsh. Right. Like, I mean, there was snow yep. everywhere. And, you yep. know, we're drinking in the park, and you have your fur coat on, and you have a hat on, you have your mittens on, and you have yep. your boots on, and you're there drinking till you can fall down in the snow. And the big trees, and, you know, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's It's... Yeah, it was it was an interesting aspect to to the time and also that part of the country too, and mm-hmm. and where I was from, drinking was also very much a part of the culture, and and very much accepted back then too, and mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of affluent Connecticut towns were, you know, you could be underage and certainly you, you know, it was okay if you drank at the table or at the country club or whatever, but it was definitely. And and I also I also remember the divorced families always had you could always party a lot <laughs> the families when there was a divorce <laughs> divorced family <laughs> they always had the wild parties because the parents would be there partying with the high school kids. Oh my god, that's like my parents. I mean, they were only twenty two years older than like my sister, I guess. And uh-huh. we we my parents went through a divorce and. There was definitely, um, you know, my sister and I or whatever, just go down the park, and we had way more freedom than the, and there were not a lot of divorces back then either. Right, right. So we were the only one, yeah. There was a stigma, a lot of stigma back then about divorces in a lot Mm -hmm. of small towns, I think. It was definitely sort of, there was a a, sort of a gray cloud over those houses, and and, uh, you know, I remember, yeah, definitely, like, the kids of the divorced families fending for themselves more. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, we they'd be making their own dinner. We wanted to have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, having cereal for dinner. <laughs> no, I never, and, I didn't like uh, cereal, but I liked pizza, okay? We got pizza more often. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very funny. Well, and, and I, with the pop thing, it's funny to think of, I looked at a junior high school yearbook, a couple of yearbooks, so this would have been right in the mid-70s, and there were actual things that kids wrote, total references to pot that were in there, which is really funny in retrospect, but I know that my mother wouldn't have understood them, even though, you know, somebody drew a pot plant on the inside. Or <laughs> <laughs> but, but didn't we have the worst pot on the planet, Jeff? I mean, I heard... You know that you know back then it was two types. It was Colombian or it was um, uh, Mexican, and sometimes I think it was oregano. <laughs> I think oregano. I remember oregano, and it was ragweed or something they call it. And oh, and it hurt your throat. And uh, and, and one one funny moment, I remember trying to grow it in in uh, in my mother's garden and seeing mm-hmm. her weeding it without. 
say, I'm, without knowing it, that she was tearing up my little weedlings. <laughs> <laughs> I grew one little plant, and it was right on the, we had a porch, and uh, I had the plant, and it was growing. You could, it was so obvious. I was a good grower. I mean, I really had this, uh-huh. you know, it was tiny. It was like only like a foot high. But Gunther, did uh-huh. you smoke pot when you were a teenager? Oh, yeah. We we got busted at Fenway Park. The only time we ever got Acapulco gold. We got about <laughs> wow. three or four joints of Acapulco gold, and we went to a Red Sox game. And we had seats right behind the catcher. And my buddy said, oh, we can't smoke it here, so why don't we just move on up, way up past first base, way up in mm-hmm. the back. Mm-hmm. So we moved thinking that nobody would notice us moving. We went and moved, and we lit it up and started getting high, and a bunch of guys with walkie-talkies came running up and said, no smoking pot in the ballpark, boys. <laughs> and then they, uh, I was wearing an army jacket, and I had a cigarette pack with the joints in it, mm-hmm. and the, he pulled out the cigarette pack and looked at it, and he said, is there anything in here? And I said, no, and he put it back in my pocket, the dummy. That's so and then funny. They us out. They, so they, 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 they didn't send you to Betty Ford then, did they, Gunther? <laughs> no, they just kicked us out. They said, you're out of here, you kids. But there was no, a big drug push in the 80s when I was a kid. There was, remember that commercial, Users Are Losers and Losers Are Users? <laughs> no, I just you remember. remember this is your brain on drugs. And this yeah, is I remember that one. Oh, something, yeah. right? Uh-huh. This is your brain, your brain on drugs. Any questions? Yeah. And we used right. to laugh at that while we were getting high. Um, if we had a commercial today, uh, this is a question for Gunther and anybody in the chat room. If we had a commercial to steer you away from 12-step or to teach you the others, what do you think it could say? I really, That would be great to do some... PSA is on YouTube eventually. Ooh, that's a good idea. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I wouldn't know mm. where to start. Yeah, I think we could probably brainstorm when I'm done, uh, you know, with my film. Yeah. We are coming up to two and a half minutes left. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really been fun. I think we've, we've done a lot of really serious shows. Gunther, I have listened to the last show that we did about Chapter 5. And um, uh-huh. it's <laughs> really funny if you haven't listened to you, but we should. We'll do. I'm going to uh, be off next week. And I'm going to upload an old show because I'm going to a film festival, and I'm very excited. I'll be there um, six days, uh, showing my uh, piece that I have, and um, you know, any, anyway, doing all that stuff, and then I'll be back. So we could maybe do a, another show, picking up where we left sometime in May. How does that sound? Oh, that would be my pleasure. I'd, I'd love to do it. Yeah, it would be really fun. Um, I want to thank you, Ned. I, I realize I know who you are now, but I... <laughs> and, uh, uh, surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah. At first I was like, this is an L.A. number. Who is calling in? And then I was like, who is this? But we'll, we'll let you name, uh, we'll call you Ned. But um, okay. let's see. What is, hold on. Let's. We have one minute and a half. Somebody wrote, "Why go to a cult to stop compulsive drinking?" And and I'll say to that, uh, I I think you shouldn't, and you shouldn't go to a, you know a cult for that. And we're going to change that by here's if anyone's listening. So the six free options. Let's talk about the two books: Amy Lee Coy's book from Death Do I Part, and uh, Hank Hayes' book You've Been Lied To. But there is Smart Recovery. There is SOS, Secular Organization for Sobriety. There is Life Ring. There is uh, Moderation. There's Hams, Harm Reduction, and there's Women for Sobriety. And there's the Sinclair Method that Gunther used with Naltrexone. And am I leaving out anything? And you can stop on your own. Acupuncture. Right? Acupuncture. Acupuncture, Ned says. Acupuncture. Right. That's I. I think it's it's a really, really great tool. It helped me with both cigarettes 20 years ago and alcohol a few years ago. So uh, I think that's a great thing to try. I really I, I believe everybody. you have to be. 
That's right. So yeah. uh, acupuncture, we have somebody here, because now I know who I'm talking to, who quit on his own um, because he was just doing it too much. And uh, and it didn't have to go to the cult or to a 12-step program. And we are out of time. I want to thank you, everybody who called in, to Stephen Boyle, to Gunther, thank you, to Ned calling in. And we'll, I will see oh, you in two weeks. There will be a show next week. And we will see you uh, next week. On, no, in two weeks from now. Good night, everybody. This is Monica Hi. for Blog Talk Radio. Take care. Recovery. Thank you. Good night. Good night, Gunther. Good night, Ned. Good night. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.